This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Steve Ducey. I'm Sandra Smith. I'm Jimmy Fallon. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, December 12th, 2023. I'm Dave Anthony. The House is considering a formal impeachment inquiry investigating President Biden, whose son Hunter was indicted the other day on tax charges. All of this stuff about like Hunter's uh, uh, spending habits and his failure to account for his income uh, takes attention away from the thing, which is the only thing that should actually matter to people, but is this money was generated by selling Joe Biden's political influence. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. Will more companies get into the business of providing childcare if it helps attract and retain workers? We want parents, young parents, to say it now makes sense for me to come back to work, get a competitive job, get full benefits, and get my childcare largely taken care of. And I'm Carol Roth. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Should President Biden be impeached? House Republicans think it's worth considering working on a resolution in committee today that would formalize an impeachment inquiry. We know that the Biden family has received up to $20 million. From numerous foreign countries dating back to when Joe Biden was vice president. So Congressman Jeff Van Drew asks out loud on Fox. What family is receiving this kind of money and for what? It's all related to Hunter Biden's overseas business dealings, including his being on the board of the Ukrainian energy company Burisma. Now, the House has been investigating the president's son and brother and family for months, trying to link him to those business dealings. The president insists he was not involved, and Democrats call this probe a political sham to benefit Donald Trump. Hunter Biden told the Moby pod that went out on Friday. They're trying to destroy a presidency. And so it's not about me. But he says it goes beyond that. They're trying to kill me, knowing that it will be a pain greater than my father could be able to handle. Uh, Hunter Biden was subpoenaed to face a deposition in the House tomorrow, but he has said he'd only talk in public days after the president's son was indicted yet again, this time on nine federal tax charges. They're making it much less likely that Hunter would testify in any kind of hearing. I know he says he's willing to testify in an open hearing. Andy McCarthy is a former chief assistant U.S. attorney, now a Fox News contributor. He said that only because he knew that that was not going to be granted because the uh, House is in an investigative phase where it uh, makes sense for them to be bringing these witnesses in closed deposition hearings, just like the January 6th committee did, just like the Democrats did uh, in the impeachment uh, phase when they were looking at Trump. Uh, that This is standard. He knew they were not going to give him an open hearing, so it was a uh, good posturing for him to ask for one. Hunter would rather the public thought that he was refusing to testify 
because the bad Republicans will, you know, use his testimony in, in some kind of a sinister way rather than the obvious and honest reason, which would be any competent defense lawyer is going to tell a client who is under indictment that he shouldn't give uh, any testimony that could be used against him yeah. uh, in the upcoming trial. And I had heard last week when the uh, indictments came down in California, uh, people saying that was a gift to Hunter Biden. It gives him the cover to not have to really say anything to House Republicans. Do you agree with that? I mean, that's a cynical view of the of, of the of the special counsel. To the extent that people are taking a cynical read on the so-called special counsel, I think that's warranted. Because you have a, you know, if if this guy was anyone other than someone named Biden, uh, the David Weiss, the U.S. Attorney of Delaware, uh, who isn't actually qualified under the Justice Department regulations to be a special counsel, so that's a whole piece of theater as well. But in any other case, not involving a Biden, he would have been indicted in 2019 or early 2020 on gun and other, uh, you know, tax and other charges, perhaps. You know, you bring, um, you say that, but it's Hunter Biden's lawyer says just the opposite. If his name yeah, wasn't Biden, they wouldn't have charged him. There would be no indictment. He's being yeah, targeted. It's, it's laughable. I mean, if he would, if his name wasn't Biden, first of all, Weiss wouldn't have tried to make the case go away with absolutely no charges, which we know from the reporting. Then they did this preposterous sweetheart deal, which couldn't, you know, they keep saying, uh, Avery Lowell keeps saying that uh, it was Weiss who reneged on the deal. It, the problem with the deal was it was so outlandish and unusual uh, in, uh, you know, for anyone who's familiar with the way the Justice Department does plea agreements, that it couldn't withstand a couple of basic questions by the presiding judge about the scope of the agreement. So, yes, uh, the fact that this guy's name is Biden has meant unusual treatment for him. But unlike what Abby Lowell says, it's not unusual persecution, that it's like unbelievably favorable treatment that wouldn't be afforded to any other person who wasn't named Biden or didn't have these kinds of political connections. You know, that plea deal fell apart over the summer, as you referenced in court. But that was with misdemeanor tax charges. Now we have, you know, some felonies involved in the indictment that came down last week. But when it comes to the gun case, that plea deal would have wiped out ultimately any felony gun charge with with some strings attached to it. Now we actually right. have in Delaware an indictment on felony gun charges and Abby Lowell's trying to go to court to get that dismissed. Any chance that he might succeed? I don't think so. And not because he's wrong uh, regarding David Weiss. He's quite correct when he says that what Weiss was trying to do was, you know, entice Hunter into this plea agreement with an eye toward making the whole gun case go away. They signed uh, that, right? That, that that They did sign this diversion program to get rid of the gun charge. What happened to that? Yeah, the problem is, Twofold. Number one, under the federal diversion guidelines, this particular offense was not an offense that you can give diversion for. Okay. And that brings us to the second thing, which is the most important, the more important condition, which is, yes, they signed the agreement, but the agreement provides that it would only go into effect if the United States probation office signed off on it because there were going to be conditions of supervision and the probation office would not sign off on it. Justice departments, that's the court. 
But I think the reason that the court wouldn't sign off on it is because it was an obvious violation of Justice Department rules. Now, I want you to hear what Abby Lowell, again, Hunter Biden's lawyer, says about the indictment that came out in California, the nine federal tax-related charges he told MSNBC over the weekend. In order to file a false return that's actionable, the following things, depending on the statute, has to occur. It has to be willful. It has to be deliberate. Hunter was late in filing and paying taxes in certain years. That is a given, as are millions and millions of Americans who do the same thing. Is he right, Andy? Well, the failure to file and the late filing is an included part of the overall conduct of evasion. Uh, When the government charges people with tax evasion, there is a willful component of that. And if he doesn't think the government has sufficient evidence to prove uh, that Hunter's lack of paying taxes was willful, um, he'll have an opportunity at trial to prove that it's going to be up to the government to establish beyond a reasonable doubt that that Hunter's behavior was willful. But like, look, if if half of what's in that indictment is true, that's a uh, and the reason that the plea agreement that blew up in the summer was regarded widely and and across the you know a lot of political and ideological lines the reason it was regarded as a sweetheart plea deal is that it should have included felony evasion counts and weiss was trying to make it go away on two puny misdemeanor counts you know they did in the in the charging charging documents they they did definitely go out of their way to at least try to embarrass Hunter Biden, right? I mean, they said he spent money on drugs and strippers and in cars, everything but his taxes in quotation marks is what they say. I mean, that, yeah, well, that's I think that goes to how politicized this investigation is. So naturally, because, you know, Weiss is now embarrassed because he was found trying to disappear the case. Now he's trying to look like a tough guy. But the method in his uh, in his doing this is he knows that everybody, including in the media, is going to get whipped up over the salacious details of how all this money was spent. But the important thing for the country, which has gotten almost no attention, is how the money was generated. Uh, So all of this stuff about like Hunter's uh, uh, spending habits and his failure to account for his income uh, takes attention away from the thing which is the only thing that should actually matter to people, but is this money was generated by selling Joe Biden's political influence. And Biden is such a pervasive figure, Joe Biden, that is, that even though the prosecutor goes out of his way not to mention the name Joe Biden in the indictment, his fingerprints and his presence are all over it. And obviously Republicans in the House have been going after information, bank records, everything they can to link the president to these business dealings, you know, he was at a meeting here, he was a meeting there, he was on a phone call. But this is a political investigation, it's not legal. So I think you should look at this in terms of the 2024 electoral politics rather than, you know, it's not the House's job to prove crimes, right? Um, and but it should be based on high crimes it. and misdemeanors, correct? Not just well, we it bri- looks like bribery. He lied. Yeah, well, right. So and, and bribery, but right. they they don't but, have alleg- They don't have a they don't have a smoking gun on any of it. Is what Democrats have said over and over again. Where I fault the Republicans is I think that they've framed the investigation incorrectly, and they have been gulled into playing on the Democrats' terms, which are 
um, we must prove that like not only that $24 million that was obviously the sale of Joe Biden's inf uh, uh, political influence to corrupt and anti-American regimes, that's not enough that we've shown that that was generated and $24 million went into the Biden family coffers. We also have to show what nickels and dimes went directly to Joe Biden himself. Um, that's the wrong way of looking at this because the business is Joe Biden uh, and it couldn't have gone on without his willful cooperation. But since it's a political thing and we all know Biden's never going to be you know, impeached and removed. So far, the Republicans haven't even been able to get votes to open an investigation, let alone, you know, the thought that they would ever file articles of impeachment is remote. But the whole point of this is for the politics of the 2024 election. And I think if you look at it that way, look at what has happened to Biden's numbers in the year during which Comer's been running this. It's actually 10 months that he's been running this investigation. His numbers have, have crashed. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that. But most of the country is now convinced that whether it was a crime or not, that he engaged in sleazy mm -hmm. behavior. Let me get back to the legal side here. The president is running for reelection. Hunter Biden's indicted twice. Are we going to have Hunter Biden on trial like we might have former President Trump on trial during the campaign? I, I kind of doubt it because I think that, um, you know, Lowell, even though I've uh, expressed a lot of disagreement with his public posturing on behalf of his client, and I don't criticize him for that, but, you know, that's he's given Zella, uh, Hunter a zealous defense, which is what Hunter's paying him for. Everybody says he's a good um, lawyer. He's a very good lawyer. And one of the things a good lawyer can do is tap dance enough to probably get these cases delayed until after Election Day. Andy McCarthy Fox News contributor, contributing editor at National Review, former chief assistant U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York. Great to talk to you as always. Thanks so much. Thanks, Dave. My pleasure. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. I'm Benjamin Hall, Fox News correspondent and New York Times bestselling author. Join me for my brand new podcast, Searching for Heroes. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts and leave a rating and review. This is Carol Roth with your Fox News commentary coming up. An estimated 16,000 child care centers closed between December of 2019 and March of 2021. That was according to Child Care Aware of America. We're seeing lost economic earnings and progress as a result of folks stopping out of the workforce, not being able to participate, and that's all because of child care. Anne Hedgepath is Child Care Aware of America's Chief of Policy and Advocacy. She spoke to Fox 5 Washington, D.C. recently about this crisis. Some of the numbers behind this highlight the problem. The average cost of child care is around $10,000 per kid each year. The Bureau of Labor Statistics says the median salary for a child care worker is just under $14 an hour. 
Vermont Independent Senator Bernie Sanders said at a congressional hearing about child care back in May that workers can often make more at a fast food restaurant, so they leave the job. If you think this is just about the little children and you think it's about the parents, you're wrong. It's also about the economy. All right. Now, nobody has the exact numbers, but I have heard that there are at least many, many hundreds of thousands of people, mostly women, who would like to enter the workforce. They can't because they cannot find quality, affordable childcare. The Bureau of Labor Statistics says as many as 100,000 workers are out of the workforce due to child care issues. And the nonprofit Ready Nation reported earlier this year it may be costing us up to $122 billion a year in lost earnings, productivity and revenue as a country. But Louisiana Republican Senator Bill Cassidy wondered if we were having the right discussion. Child care obviously is too expensive for those who need it. But I think it's important to note that it's become more expensive as we've pumped more federal dollars into it. While providing money to child care centers was considered in the Build Back Better legislation, it got cut in the end. The American Rescue Plan money that was keeping some centers going ran out in September, after which several child care centers announced their closure. Some states are offering subsidies, New York spending $500 million to help with child care costs. The President's Chips and Science Act says semiconductor manufacturers that want government money have to provide their workers access to child care. And more businesses are trying to provide on-site child care now as well that are not in the business of making chips. So in July of 2023, Tyson opened up a new child care facility in Humboldt, Tennessee. This year, Tyson Foods joined a growing number of companies providing on-site child care. It's where Garrett Dolan is an associate director of human resources. It cost about $5 million to construct and is located next to one of our brand new manufacturing facilities, which will employ up to 1,500 people. It's my understanding that this facility is uh, one of its kind uh, because it's a company-built facility right next to a place of employment. Uh, The childcare is curriculum-based, meaning that we have expectations that the children will be about eight to nine months advanced on the learning spectrum by the time they hit kindergarten versus kids that were not able to attend the learning center. It's subsidized by the state of Tennessee and Tyson, and it's meant to be affordable for the median wage uh, worker in Tennessee. What does affordable mean? This is not free for the workers. They have to pay something, right? So how much, who's paying all of what? What is the take of each pie of the percentage? Yeah. So if, if you look at the average cost of childcare around the country, it varies. In rural Tennessee, a quality learning center is something in the neighborhood of $12,000 per child per year. Tyson Center is a little bit less than that. We have committed to each of our team members up to $6,500 of that cost is guaranteed in terms of a subsidy. The team member is also expected to apply to the state of Tennessee to participate in their subsidy program as well. That program is based on family income. And so, uh, as you can imagine, if you earn less on the spectrum, you'll get more assistance than if you earn more. Okay, so now we know that this is not working at at Tyson Foods facility is not an eight to four, nine to five job necessarily. So... Does this child care company that you all work with, right, it's, it's kinder care, is their staff working odd hours as well as to, to accommodate these workers? Yeah, one of the great challenges of finding child care, well, there's several great challenges with finding child care. One, is it affordable? 
Two, is it available? And even if it is affordable and available, third is, is it accessible? And by accessibility, we mean, does it operate at hours where a manufacturing company needs it to work? Typically, in a manufacturing plant uh, for Tyson, we open up at about 5.30 in the morning. So we have decided to open up our childcare facility to be accommodating to that first shift. So we open somewhere between 4.45 and 5 a.m. in the morning. People can drop off their children. They can go get ready for work and put on their, their safety gear and be ready to go. We operate this facility only uh, right currently on the first shift, which means we operate for about uh, 12 hours of the facility. So from 4.30, 4.45 in the morning till about 6 o'clock at night. Garrett, what sort of conversations do you know workers are having um, about figuring out if it's if it's worth it to go to work or, or stay at home and care for, for little kids? I know that's a huge part of the why here, right, is is sort of enticing workers to work. So what, what kind of conversations have you heard? Well, yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because it's, it's core to what we're doing. The median manufacturing wage in the state of Tennessee is $36,000 a year. Tyson is paying slightly more than that. So when you think about a person who's at home and they want to come to work at a company that earns $37,000 a year, they have to ask themselves the question, do I really want to go back to work and earn uh, $36,000, $37,000 a year when I have to pay something like eleven dollars and $12,000 in childcare? Mm. And it's a calculation that unfortunately many parents feel like they just can't make. It's just not worth it. So they don't do it. And so one of the major problems that all manufacturers have around the country is getting an available supply of laborers, of workers. And so our childcare offering is meant to accomplish three business objectives. One is we want to expand the pool of people that are available to work. We want parents, young parents to say, it now makes sense for me to come back to work, get a competitive job, get full benefits, and get my childcare largely taken care of. We want to also provide assurances to existing employees when we ha- when they have young children that they won't have to stop working we call that retention we want so we want to attract and we want to retain team members by offering this service and the third is is we want to reduce absenteeism so as anybody knows that when you mm-hmm. have a young child the child gets sick often you know ear infections or the school all, is closed or, for holidays and you know between summer vacation <laughs> yeah Absolutely right. And that's why we decided to subsidize $6,500 of the tuition. And that's why we partnered with the state of Tennessee to offer that subsidy as well. So other other companies have been doing this, but but most do not. Um, and I think it, it's got to come down, right, to, to the math, um, dollars and cents. Given what you just said, did the math check out for you all? It, it made more sense financially for the company to help workers afford childcare right next to where they work rather than not do it. Yeah, our humble childcare facility is a pilot project for Tyson. We have really decided to do it right, build a facility right next to our plant, subsidize the team member, have it open when it when it needs to be open and have it be high quality. We really don't know yet what the financial return will be on this. 
I don't expect uh, childcare anywhere to be something where a company makes money off of it. We will be lucky if it's a break-even endeavor. Okay, but then why do the? But then I got to interrupt you. Then why do the pilot program if you don't think it will? If you if what you just said is true that you don't go into this thinking you're going to make money, then why do it? And did somebody crunch the numbers and think it's it's still worth it even if we don't make money because it will mean what productivity over time? Like what's the calculation then? Yeah. So the calculation is, I think Harvard Business Review did an article years ago about what does it cost to replace an employee? And it's essentially 25% of their wages, annual wages. And so when you look at the cost for us to replace an employee or to recruit a new employee, we're, we're incurring that expense today, right? Of that 36000 that gets paid, 25% of it is the cost guaranteed just to find and keep somebody. That doesn't include the cost of productivity, of how much product can you actually make when you have a stable workforce. That's a function of, you know, the plant itself. We believe that by offering childcare, it gives us a competitive advantage in the marketplace because none of the other employers can do it. And the real name of the game is being able to expand the pool of labor to bring people back to work and being able to keep your existing workforce because they're really happy to be there and they feel comfortable that their kids are taken care of. Why did you guys decide then to do this? Was Tyson experiencing... Um, because we've heard the, the stories all across the country right, that it's hard to find workers, it's hard to retain workers, P- the pandemic, child care centers closed, and all sorts of industries were impacted in, in terms of labor force participation. What was Tyson's experience during all of this? Was it, was it just hard to find people and keep people? Yeah, Tyson's experience, uh, I, I think it's, it is it is safe to say that no matter what manufacturing company you are, it's hard to find a labor the labor to run your plant. You know, those people that earn $36,000, $38,000 a year, there is a shortage across the country of those people. Tyson has been experiencing that for years in the meatpacking industry. In fact, the turnover rate in a meatpacking industry is somewhere about 35 to 40% a year. So that means 35 to 40% of your workforce is going to change every year. Mm. Well, when you have a manufacturing plant that's in a rural location like many of Tyson plants, because we want to be near where the animals are, um, you have to constantly be thinking about how do I expand the pool of people that are available to work? And childcare does that. Uh, We learned the critical nature of childcare during COVID when parents were getting sick or they were afraid to come to work or their kids weren't able to go to school and there was no one home to take care of the kids, parents wouldn't come to work. So when COVID hit, it just was the last straw for us. We said, we've got to figure this out and we're going to do the, everything we can to see how it works and see if, it, see if it's an effective business model for us. We know it does two other things very well. We know it bolsters our reputation in the community. We know because we've asked the community <laughs> leaders, uh, do they see us differently because we offer low-cost child care? And universally, they say yes. We know the parents that are using the facility today absolutely love it. And about half of the folks that are using the facility today were unable to work before childcare, before a subsidized childcare model was open. They just couldn't afford it. Hmm. Garrett Dolan, Associate Director of Human Resources at Tyson Foods. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Have a nice day. 
Gianna Gelosi with your Fox True Crime Minute. An illegal immigrant is arrested in the murder of a Texas cheerleader who was found dead in her bathtub last week. Lizbeth Medina's mother found the 16-year-old dead inside the bathtub in their apartment. An autopsy report has yet to be released. The teen was supposed to go to a Christmas parade with her cheer team but never showed up. Rafael Govea Romero, an undocumented male, was arrested about 50 miles north of the crime scene. The Edna Police Department believe he is a person responsible for the death. He was booked on capital murder charges. His arrest came hours after police released security camera footage of a suspect wearing a black sweatshirt running towards a silver car he was driving in. Officials have not revealed if Romero knew Medina, but her mother believes her death was tied to a recent break-in at their apartment complex. There's more on this story at foxnews.com. Subscribe to the Fox True Crime Podcast with Emily Campagno. I'm Gianna Gelosi with your Fox True Crime Minute. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Carol Roth. What's on your mind? My social media feeds are filled with reposts from TikTok videos featuring Gen Z having a lot of issues with work. Lazy girl jobs encouraging women to seek out low stress, minimal effort, possibly remote jobs, but of course high paying ones, became a viral phenomenon. One young woman shared an on-camera breakdown over working nine to five because with commute, she was tired and didn't have enough, quote, free time. While it's easy to dunk on these young people, I really blame the parents. This hurts because Gen Z is being raised in large part by Gen X, which should make the kids awesome and self-sufficient. But alas, we keep witnessing across social media, many young people are struggling. Here's where they've been let down and how they can change it around. One, not preparing Gen Z for work. With young people consuming so much Marxist propaganda online and even in school, it's not surprising that young people want to do as little work as possible and just expect that food, clothing, shelter, entertainment, and more will fall from the sky for them. When you're young, you start from square one. You don't have a lot of experience, so yes, you have to work hard to take care of your needs and wants. Then, over time, you can earn extra free time if you desire it. That doesn't mean you should neglect self-care. It just means you need to be realistic and efficient and give it perspective and focus on what's amazing about those opportunities to which others don't have access. Two, not giving them self-worth. When I was young, my father instilled in me a sense of pride in whatever I did. Whether it was making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches as a worker in the kitchen of a day camp, 
Yes, I did that job. To writing best-selling books now, whatever I do, my name goes on it, and I take putting my name on my work seriously. Many young people don't have pride in themselves or their work, which is their personal art and contribution to the world. The idea that you are seeking to be a lazy girl is absolutely emblematic of not having pride in yourself and how you spend your time. It doesn't mean that you have to kill yourself with work, but you have a privilege that very few people around the world and throughout history have had. You can choose how you want to earn a living and support yourself, and you have a wide variety of choices which you can change fairly easily and frequently throughout your life. Whatever you do, give yourself your all and be proud of what you are contributing to others and to your own self-fulfillment. Three, mentorship for Gen Z. Mentorship can help Gen Z reach their potential. Young people should seek out relationships with people they admire, in real life, not on TikTok and Instagram, and get feedback when they're struggling. There are so many people who have decades of experience that can help make them more at ease with their personal and professional choices and with their perspective. And people are usually very willing to help if you ask kindly and make it easy for them to do. What Gen Z needs to learn is that growth, challenges, and struggles are all a normal part of life, but broadcasting those to the world is not. I'm Carol Roth, New York Times bestselling author of You Will Own Nothing and the creator of the Future File Legacy Planning System. You can connect with me at carolroth.com news. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.